Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. The Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio. With me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. Buenas noches! This evening, we have an interesting show for you. Our guest this evening is film director C.M. Landris. And uh, she's got a very interesting, unusual project that she wants to talk to us about today. And that we want to talk to her about today. Welcome to the show! Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, what, what do we call you? CM sounds a little formal. Is, do you, it does do you, it? Yeah, do you like CM or? Yeah, I do. Hey, it's, okay. Uh, it's Fine. my initials, but Initials yeah, are good. We okay. can do initials. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's fine. So I'm, not, got... I'm not that attached to my name in general, so mm-hmm. just like, hey, is okay, too. Hey, you. Hey. <laughs> so... Wow, you've and, got and you've got a list of credits. I mean, this is uh, you've you've done a lot of directing for television, and you've done yeah, some well, documentaries. Uh, a car. Well, the television number. part's really like uh, don't not like real TV. It's it's the I don't want to I don't want to mislead anyone. It's more like web series. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and apart from the distribution of it, how is that different from regular television? I mean, oh, I mean it's, the, it's the same amount of work, yeah, or more. I don't, I don't even think it's the wave of the future. I think it's the it's the current transition, really. That's you know, I love web series and everything that's happening with it right now. So that's been a big focus of mine for the last you know two years, really. So mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's different in ways that are not yet a hundred percent determined. So it's it's a great time to be involved in things like that. Well, it's it's uh, it's one of the hard things about all of this new media is how you make money doing it, uh, because you're not reaching you're not reaching millions of people or even hundreds of thousands of people with your audience in in a lot of cases. Right. You know that it, is that is the big question. How do you monetize that? And I work a, a lot. I circulate a lot in the the startup communities here in LA. And one of the things uh, projects that I've worked on for a while is actually how to monetize your web series. So there are a lot of us out there figuring out, you know, different ways and really developing new business models, essentially, I think is what we're doing for both film and other forms of entertainment. And so eventually one's just going to pop through and and people are going to realize, oh, this is really the, the key way of doing it. But I think ultimately you'll see, you know, several different ways that people are working on things for the next few years. Some of them are partnering with existing operations and some of them are just kind of really going out there and creating new new ways to monetize people's, you know, what we're already doing anyway as filmmakers. So tell us about the 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 show that you're developing now. Um well, the the movie you mean? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Okay, so the movie I'm working on is Mission, which is a lucha libre science fiction film, and uh, which just tickles us today, right? Just <laughs> lucha libre science fiction film, right? Just the, right out it's of a the natural gate. fit, that's, really. That's <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. If, if, if lucha isn't fantasy, what is? <laughs> yeah, um, they're strong. Well, they're they're brave. They they do amazing physical feats, and they wear masks. How is this not superhero? Exactly. I don't know. That's the great thing about you know when people ask me, tell me about this film. It's kind of a 
a double-edged sword in some ways, in a good way, I think, or because there are two things I can talk about. You know, most filmmakers, when you say, tell me about your film, they jump into the story, of course. With this one, you have the story on one side, and the other side, you have the fact that it's a Lucha Libre film, which has a whole history to it itself. So, I mean, it, for anyone who's not familiar with Lucha Libre, it is masked Mexican wrestling, or it's most famous in Mexico. It did originate in Texas, that's the lore. But uh, it is masked Mexican wrestling, and uh, generally, the wrestlers are not seen in public without their masks on. So when you say, you know, they're natural superheroes, that's really one of the great things about the whole genre of film is that these are the real guys on and off screen. It's not like, uh, you know, it's, I guess to make a comparison, Christian Bale playing Batman, you know, <laughs> off the screen, he doesn't wear the Batman costume. Uh, whereas Mil Mascaras, who stars in this film, really does wear the mask in public. Nobody's seen him without his mask on. Um, so well, that's his that's, choice, though. Uh, yeah, definitely. You, but it's but kind it of the, the... the lucha libre way. Um, I don't, I don't know of any luchador that is seen in public um, without their mask on. Yeah, they, I, not they, they until they're going them. to the grocery store. And, you know, you don't want to right. get pounded on while you're buying toilet paper. And... Right, right. So in that, in that, <laughs> you may have seen them in public. You just didn't exactly. know it. They're hidden. Uh, I mean, Lucha Libre films have been around since uh, 50s or 60s, I think. And and Mil Mascaras is one of the original stars of the whole genre. He, along with uh, uh, El Santo and Blue Demon. And he's kind of the last remaining. His birthday was just this week. So he's a a bit aged, but in incredible shape, better shape than I am. And uh, so he's he's back in this movie. And it's, it's one of the... It's the third movie he's written, or he's done with, uh, or will be doing with Jeff Ullman, who's the writer of this film. So it's kind of exciting because those previous films were the first ones in English, and they've been, you know, super popular among among mm-hmm. fans and the kind of Fangoria, Scream, Film Facts, that kind of stuff. I, so it's a pretty exciting movie. I used to I yeah. used to stay up late watching weird old movies, and one of the ones I ran across <laughs> when I was in my twenties, and I'm fifty seven now, uh, uh, was one of these luchador movies, and yeah, the, the luchador versus the whatever it is. Oh, well, yeah. It was really Santos, and they didn't. Yeah, think was, yeah, Americans yeah, Santos, were smart enough and, and, to say Santos. Or I, I, I seem to remember one. it was it was uh, uh, Santos cast in the role of a detective. With a mask? With a mask. And I just <laughs> yes. one of the strangest fits that I did. You know, I mean, you just look at this film and you go, what am I watching? What is this? <laughs> I think you're right, yeah. I, I was just reading about that film earlier today, actually, uh, very briefly. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, there was a, a recent documentary that came out, a short documentary called Viva Lucha Libre, Mm -hmm. and in it, Patton Oswalt talks about how the audience just, you know, they accept the mask, and that's just part of it. It's nobody, nobody questions, you know, why is this detective in a silver mask? Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, thank God, thank God he's here, because now he has to save the world. There's actually, I think there's a line of comic books as well uh, that uses uh, Santos. As a character. I'm not familiar with those, but that's, I mean, the, the whole genre is really deeply mm-hmm. rooted in uh, comic book culture. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of crossover fans, and I'm, I'm sure there are comics. I know there's an, another big wrestler right now who's working on this whole series of graphic novels and updating all that, and it's really cool. So how did you get, uh, how did you get started with the uh, Lucha Libre uh, theme in the first place? That's that's like one of my favorite questions to answer about this film because I, I, this is my first feature film. And first mm-hmm. of all, not a lot of people get this opportunity and they certainly don't get it the way I did. Uh, and like I said, the writer of this film has made two previous films with Neil Mascaras and they were both produced through the University of Missouri, uh, Columbia, which is where I did my undergraduate degree. And I think it was my last year in school my friend was, you know, knew that I was interested in film and said, hey, we're, you know, working on this crazy uh, film with this wrestling guy and he's like kind of old and you should come, you know, work on the film for a day since you, you want to work in 
So I went and I, I PA'd on this film and I met Neil Mascaras very briefly. Uh-huh. And that was it. It was like one day of seeing them shoot at the University of Missouri, Columbia. And I graduated. I moved away after a while to El Paso, Texas. Never heard or saw anything about the film. Kind of lost touch with the original friend. Moved out here to L.A. because I wanted to work in film. And uh, just on Facebook, that same friend just randomly posted that he had was in L.A. for business. And I said, why don't we get together? So we did. And he said, hey, we're making another one of those wrestling movies. Since you're out here working in film, why don't you take a look at the script? And so that was almost two years ago. And it, it's just, it made it just fell in my lap. And I, I, I immediately was like, of course I'll make this movie. I have no clue how that's going to happen, but definitely I will do that. That's, uh, so, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah. And so the, you know, they've been really, really patient with me as a first time feature filmmaker. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's really exciting because now we're, we're just about to push forward and, and I think really finally go into pre-production so is it so is it going to be like a a block movie you know like all the action takes place on a city block or how much of a budget are you no it's a it's in the (laughs) um well i mean it's budgeted yeah it's it's pretty low budget but uh it it doesn't it's in it takes place in the jungle so Mm -hmm. That one of the questions is where exactly we're going to shoot. Which my number one location is actually Puerto Rico because of all the you know if you're if you keep up with the film industry, they have these constant changing tax incentive programs everywhere. Oh yes, and so Puerto Rico is a really good option, I think, for us right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, plus they have jungle. So yeah, well, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, that's sort so, of an important factor. Right, it's, it's either it's, that or you're you're down at. Uh, uh, the prop shop renting a thousand <laughs> fake palm trees. No, but you're still on, on U.S. territory, and people yep. there are bilingual, so everybody exactly. wins, really. Exactly. They have a huge Lucha Libre community in Puerto Rico. And also, you know, I've looked into filming some other places, and everyone knows Los Angeles is not the cheapest place to make a movie sometimes. Uh, and, well, like, for example, know, if you want if you want <laughs> if you've got um, a scene where you... You're you you're following a ch- it's a chase scene, and the guy runs through a park, uh, dashes over a freeway, hops into uh, one backyard and then another, and then you catch him on a city street. That is four separate permits blocking off the freeway, an insurance a separate insurance policy for each individual area you wander into, plus the shooting crews, plus the helicopter, plus medics. And you're into a $200,000 day. Exactly. For a, for yeah. a shot. Exactly. It's nuts. And, you know, we have foliage that needs to be taken care of. And so, I, I mean, I looked into some places that double as kind of jungle scenes, and they're like teeny tiny areas that you can rent for a minimum of like $9,000 a day, not Eesh. including insurance or permits. You know, you can for, go nine, through a studio for $9,000, and, you, know, you can go to the nursery and buy the freaking plants and have exactly. them planted in or your yard and then freaking, ripped out when you're done. Honey, yeah, exactly. maybe we should plant a jungle in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and rent it out for half that. I think I have to fix the sprinklers first. Okay, fix the sprinklers. <laughs> <laughs> or you can, you know, pack up like half your crew and your whole cast and fly to Puerto Rico and make it there and you know, yeah. receive money and then, back. And not worry about, oh, I, I, we spun the camera seven degrees too far <laughs> to the left and the parking lot shows. What do we do now? <laughs> It's a jungle. <laughs> Although that would be like classic Lucha Libre style right It's there, a concrete but... jungle. Yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. it's, well, let's work with it. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so are you going to be shooting on, I assume you're going to be shooting on video. Yes, right now that's the, that's the goal. You know, there's no DP attached, so it's going to be, we have a lot of meetings to go through and people to find once we, uh, once we do our Indiegogo thing and mm-hmm. really get some of those funds in. Um, there's going to, you know, that's going to be the first kind of stuff to figure out. So I've talked to some DPs and they've made recommendations and things like that, but nothing is decided mm-hmm. 100% yet. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I have been working at Rhythm and Hughes up until February of this year, and uh, uh, four years ago, I think probably 
35% of the footage that came into the studio uh, came in uh, as digital, as mm-hmm. video. And the rest of it had to be scanned and uh, and digitized and put into the production pipeline that way. And then we'd do whatever we did, and then we'd write it back out to film. And then by the time I left, they had completely closed down the film department because it was getting Uh-oh. no business at all. It was, uh-huh. it was all being done on video, and uh, when the studio gets, uh, when the studio got footage, it's it's bankrupt now. But right. when they got footage, it would come in on hard disks, and it would right. leave on hard disks, and the people working on the film would never actually see a frame of negative, wow. because it didn't exist. You're, people aren't people aren't even working in film now, and we still call it that. Yeah, of course. But it's, you know, uh, uh, I would say that probably uh, probably 90% of the people who worked at the studio had never actually held a piece of camera negative in their hands mm-hmm. in their lives. Yeah. It's it's that much of a change. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist when it comes to film. My, uh, I have a pretty strong background in photography, so mm-hmm. um, I actually still shoot photos on a 35mm Holga camera. <laughs> so, um, you, so you have that, that gut response. You, you, yeah. do your, you do your three-point lighting, and you get your light meter, <laughs> and you, uh, uh, you set your shutter speed and your f-stop, and you pick out which lens you're going to use. You've got a pretty good idea, just from your gut, how that's going to come out. Yeah, exactly. I and uh, Like we talked about briefly, I'm not in some ways, I'm really not a visual or graphics person. I have no talent for graphic design. I have no talent for storyboarding. In fact, I'm taking a drawing class right now because I have to put storyboards in our Indiegogo video, and mm-hmm. I'm so embarrassed by my storyboarding abilities. But, you know, you put a camera in my hands and film and lighting and digital, too. I really mm-hmm. I do like digital a lot, too. Um, so it, that all makes sense very intuitively to me because, I've you know, I have that background, so you, mm-hmm. it's like you have to know the rules so that you can break them kind of thing. Right, you so, at least got to get the rules of composition down. Yeah, for sure. Else. Yeah, I know I know some, I know a really good instructor, actually. Uh, his name is Carl Ganass. He teaches at the Animation Guild in Burbank. Uh, oh. And he has seminars every week. And, oh, uh, great. Yeah, he's, he teaches uh, uh, Disney animators how to draw. Oh wow! Yeah, he, Glenn Glenn Keane is one of his students. Oh, you know the 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 legendary Disney animator, one of the original Nine Old Men, right. is still learning new stuff from Carl Ganass. That's uh, if you're listening and you want, uh, he's got a couple of books. Uh, he's there. Uh, you can get them at uh, GanassStudios.com. That's G N A S S. Studios, so there's three S's in a row. dot com, and uh, they're they're a little light on verbiage, but they're wonderful for illustration, and that's that's really what you're looking for. And uh, he's uh, he's he's just brilliant at the stuff, and he's I've probably learned as much from him as from from anybody I've ever studied under. Oh, wow. great. So um, this has been an unsolicited. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this was an unsolicited advertisement for Ganass Studios. <laughs> Carl Ganass. And I guess he could invent you some jungles if you don't have them. Yeah, I don't know. That's you know that's an option too, and it, it's interesting. I had a, you know, I went to the AFM last year, and that was a, a new experience for me, and I'm glad I did it, and hope I'll mm-hmm. never do it again. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I met I met a lot of really great people, and I met somebody who owns a digital effects studio and has done all these amazing, amazing movies and was just so excited, you know, about my film, and we met several times, and uh-huh. he was really, he really wanted to do the film. And he, you know, through his digital effects company, and I was like, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know, I don't have a background in digital effects, I don't really picture them in the film, I'm not sure how that would work, but, you know, whatever, I'm open to anything. And so he finally, you know, read the script and was like right before reading the script was like really ready to sign on to this film and he read the script and he was just like you know I just don't think this is for our company he's like I think people really want to see the wrestling and really Mm want to see you know these kind of 
monsters and aliens, and this really isn't something for digital effects. And which kind of, although it was disappointing financially, it you know made me happy. I was like, yeah, you know that that's also my vision for the film. It's that people really want to see this. They don't want to see like the computer generated alien doing. Probably not. Probably not because well, first of all, we've we've seen all that. Right. You know, let's see some acting. You know, let's see. It, it's uh, uh, if you throw enough money at it, you can solve any problem with a with digital imagery or computer animation or scene extension or whatever you've got. But it takes real artistry to solve these problems on the fly, using what you have at hand, and still come out with a good movie. Yeah, you know, I mean, for example, uh, 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 one of the great things about the sets in Star Trek. You know, this is a weird segue, I know, but just sort of roll with me for a minute. Um, was that uh, they painted most of the sets this sort of warm, neutral gray. Mm-hmm. And then for everything else they needed to do, they needed to set the mood, they needed to change the uh, the sets, and redress... Mm. Excuse me. <coughs> oh, my throat just seized up. Ah. I'm going to be editing this out. <coughs> you okay? Ah, I think I will be. Uh, I might need a glass of water. Let me go get that. Thank you. Uh, the, the, of course, right in the middle of it, the dog decided <laughs> she, she just had to come in and get some love. So there she is. Nuzzling, nuzzling against my my leg and <laughs> sort of leaning in and demanding pets and you know she's a she's an old sweet dog but uh, uh <clears throat> yeah as soon as uh, as soon as the water comes back I'll oh that's fine I'll pick up my point but uh, it has to do with lighting and it has to do uh, thank you so much. <sighs> Boy, that'll teach me. Uh, you don't sit down for an interview without a cup of water. <coughs> anyway. One of the things that... Uh, one of the things that you... No, 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 no. Let me start that. That's just noise words. One of the great things about the what they did with the lighting on Star Trek was that they could take the, the gray sets and relight them and use colored channels and literally repaint the entire set with light mm. and get different scenes out of it and different feelings and moods. You know, you want a creepy scene, you light it dark and you have blues and greens. You want a happy scene, bright with yellows and reds. And, uh, and uh, you could force the depth perception by putting green in the back and and uh, it was all done with light. And uh, it's like a quick change artist in a bag full of six pieces of clothing. You know, run behind the screen and change your clothes. And you come yeah. out 30, you know, 10 seconds later and you're somebody else. And uh, <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's, that's one of the challenges of low-budget production is that you have to take nothing and make something out of it. Yeah, those are those are all challenges I really like. Um, I think I, I tend to enjoy those. Uh, for me, the I don't know. I like I love you know. I wouldn't do this in in a sci-fi movie, but even like working with actors and improv, I actually love uh-huh. working with improv and and being able to edit it together because I also like do most of my editing. Uh-huh. So uh, you know, I'm always thinking ahead, and so I like I like problems. I like challenges, and I, especially if they're creative. So you, when you were in film school, you, I'm, I'm editing that out too. I'm sorry, <laughs> my my mouth just stumbled and ground to a halt. When you were in <laughs> film school, uh, you you worked in film, I take it, rather than video. No, um, well, really? I have to explain what my film school was. I guess first, um, I mean, my my undergraduate, I had. I always, I guess, I always wanted to go to film school, but mm-hmm. I, you know, nobody in my family ever went to college, so I didn't know anything about going to college at all. I just went to the biggest school that was the farthest distance, mm-hmm. and so that was the <laughs> University of Missouri Columbia. 
and uh, they didn't have a film program there. So that's I actually majored in interdisciplinary studies and created my own major around what I wanted to do as a filmmaker once I became a filmmaker. So that's why well, I took... Well, that's clever. Um, now, to <laughs> if you can't get to film school, make one. To clarify, this is not Columbia University in New no. York? No, University of Missouri, Columbia. Okay. So it's their Columbia doesn't have a no, film no, 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 no. <laughs> they, they actually have a film school now because the writer Jeffrey Ullman has revived it through these films, which is pretty awesome. But like so anyway, that's you know at that time I studied did film studies, which is writing and talking about film, and then photography and creative writing and things that would you know eventually become a basis for doing film. And then when I went to graduate school, they had a documentary filmmaking program mm-hmm. and their classes there, so. I went there partly for that, and uh, so I, I was working a lot in documentary, and then also during graduate studies or school, I studied abroad with the New York Film Academy in Abu Dhabi, so that was kind of where they oh started gosh. off with these, I think we did 16 millimeter for a couple of shoots, and then uh-huh. we did digital, so it wasn't a lot of film. It's I've never really worked a lot with um, film other than my very beginning photography classes, and then that one time, and then just, you know, mm-hmm. on my own, because I like it. Mm-hmm. So, but you had the you had the basic lighting classes and the basic editing oh, classes sure, and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I went through U, the UCLA film program myself as an undergraduate, back when they still did that. And uh, I, I don't know, I, it's, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> I think the greatest value of the of the classes was that I I actually had the discipline to uh, to do it all day long, mm-hmm. and not so much that the teachers actually knew very much. Yeah. Was it was it the same way with you or? Oh, well, that's a really good question. I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, I probably I guess. I mean, I guess I consider myself really self-disciplined. I mean, I've always mm-hmm. made my own majors because there, you know, especially with school, there, there's just always something I wanted to study, and you know, I, I really and knew they what never I wanted actually to had do. It, so but, you made you did it yourself. Yeah, you know, they didn't have it exact. Made it myself, and you know, I, I don't know. The, the only way I've gotten this far with this film is through being extremely disciplined because I do have a day job. I mm-hmm. teach it during the day. Yeah, I'm so, sorry. Uh, we, that's, we, missed, we missed you cut out there. You oh, teach sorry. at where? Um, I teach at UCLA Extension during the day. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, I have a day job that's it's intensive. Uh-huh. And then, you know, I come home and I, I work on my film and I do whatever I can. So, I'm I think yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the discipline part is I, I don't know, I'm just I'm I'm maybe more self-disciplined than I, I think a lot of people, or maybe I'm just obsessive. Like that might be well, a better term than self-disciplined. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think you have to be obsessive to be a good director. Honestly, you've got to be obsessive to strike out on your own and do anything like this. I mean, yeah, I you think, know, I think how many people want to be a director and actually do it? You know, yeah, I wanted to be a director. I never made it. Well, uh, yeah. You know, the, only, yeah the only reason I'm producing the film is because I wanted to direct it. Uh, and I realized nobody was just going to write me one big fat check and be like, we want you to do this. Um, so you know, I had to kind of just do it myself. No, it's sort of, it's like uh, the Adam Savage slogan. I reject your reality and substitute my own. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's like the story of my life, I think. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of how we came up with Krypton Radio, too. We yeah. wanted a, we wanted a sci-fi radio station. To listen to, just to listen to, you know, is that so much to yeah. ask? Well, apparently it was. There wasn't one. There wasn't <laughs> one. It didn't exist, so we built it. That's great. And uh, and we kept looking around and and thinking, well, is, there must be other people doing this. No, nope, not really. Will it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, you're trendsetters because now yeah, I, see, I, guess so. I see them all the time now. Huh? You're trendsetters because I see them kind of all the see, time. You see podcasts. Oh, There's right, podcasts You're right. Actually, we yeah, have a totally twenty four right. seven station, and we you're carry totally right. a few podcasts. And we got our own talk show. Yay, honey! I want to be on the show. Okay, but, uh, honey, you okay. can have your own radio show. But uh, <laughs> but a full time station takes a little more work than most people have every right. day job. But you know, with one day job between us, we can do this. And maybe we can make this his day job, and maybe we should cut this part. <laughs> I'm talking too much. 
<laughs> well, the uh, uh, yeah, the it's the advantage of striking out on your own is that you do get to define your own rules, but that's also the drawback because uh, do you find do you find yourself sort of struggling because your work doesn't fit into an accepted category? Uh, sure, it does. It fits into two of them. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't fit well into either of them. Uh, it's it just it's, it's mean, unique. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I kind of I guess maybe I do, but I don't know that I would notice it as much because I get that reaction kind of from other people. Like, how do you how do you do that? How do you you know how do you have put the stage up? How are you doing you together? know all the stuff you're doing? And to me. Uh-huh question of how it's just i do it because what else would i do like like i'm like are there other options because i i fail to see any like just me doing doing my thing and you know just i I assume everybody else is doing their own thing too maybe um so i don't know i guess i'm sure i meet resistance um but it's not something i don't mind maybe because i i just i don't know that's Mm -hmm. how i am (laughs) i think fuse it Genre fusion is getting to be a thing, you know. First yeah. you could just have a romantic comedy, then it's a horror romantic comedy, or a <laughs> zombie romantic, zom-rom-com, or, you know, <laughs> it, you can you can combine things now, and it's cool, and it's all yeah, cool. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this, like, for the sci-fi Lucha Libre thing, I think it, it couldn't be more timely. Uh, you know, there's this, been this resurgence of Lucha Libre and... Uh, in wrestling in general, I have yeah. a number of friends in sci-fi fandom who who love the wrestling on both sides of the border, and uh, you know. Yeah. And I know a lot of um, you know American wrestling has not always been as accepting of the the luchadors the way uh, you know Mexico has, of course. But there's there are more and more like these luchadors are just these insanely amazing athletes. I mean, they're they do these incredible things, and they're. You know, instead of trying to bust into this mainstream wrestling uh, we have here, they're kind of striking out on their own, and they have their own organizations and promotional uh, kind of uh, events and leagues. And I see, they're, a, they're I breaking see an into films echo. I see an echo here in 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 your own work. Yeah, you know, because yeah, they're exactly. doing. You know, you're doing the same thing they're doing. You're just doing it in a different medium. You're striking out on your. You're own. You're striking out <laughs> on your own. You're defining your own. Uh, you're defining your own. own path. <laughs> you're defining your own path instead of trying to bust into the mainstream. I yeah, mean, this well, is... this is a really exciting time to be in filmmaking, I think, because there a lot of us are doing that. There's a company and that I, I have my film on. It's called Film Break, shameless promotion, filmbreak.com. And... You can. It's a. It's a film that's kind of recognized. It's a site that's kind of recognized this broken filmmaking system that we've had. That's a bit outdated and extremely hard to break into. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I just yeah. got. Uh, I just got email from uh, Taylor McPartland. Uh, oh my god! Who, who runs? Funny. Who runs it? And, yeah, that's uh, Taylor. Yeah. yeah, I'll I'll tell him we were talking while we got that email. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, he, so, yeah, yeah he you know, they, they've they've really taken this. What they do is, um, they help filmmakers to kind of engage and monetize their audience. So I put mm-hmm. my film on there, and you can go and you can see videos and photos and things like that, and you mm-hmm. can hype the film, which then helps the film to gain popularity. And they actually and the website um, is again for for the listeners. It is filmbreak.com. Filmbreak.com. Yeah, and as you do have to sign up to see the stuff that's on it. But it's free, and yes. they don't ask you to sign over your firstborn or, nope, or, or give you... They don't want your Facebook credentials or anything like that. Exactly. They, you can. You have the option oh, of going into your Facebook yeah, you, with you your don't Facebook. Have. Right. Yeah. You don't have to. Uh, so, you know, their, and their thing is really the distribution aspect. Uh, so they, we, through them, we actually have an acquisition agreement. So once the film is made, and this is kind of unheard of for indie filmmakers like myself, that you would get something like this so far in advance, but they actually have given us an acquisition agreement. And once we make the film, they will, uh, they can acquire it and, you know, distribute it on all your favorite VOD and digital platforms and so, kind of cut out all these middlemen that them, we've Okay, them acquiring with. the film, what does that mean for you in terms of getting paid? I mean, did they just inhale well, it or and that's, and that's the end of it or what? 
<laughs> no, um, they they make an investment in the film. They, these guys will tell you more about it than I, I can. Okay. Um, so I don't want to say too much because I might get some of the details wrong. But they they make an investment in the film um, to acquire it. And so whereas I would have to go to each of these resources individually, they now cover the cost of, you know, putting it on all of them. And then any each, you know, I think each site or each platform Mm-hmm. Gen- generates revenue differently. So each percentage that I would be getting back is different depending on, you know, just because uh-huh. Netflix says we want the movie doesn't mean a VOD channel will. Right. But, uh, so it would all be different. But they, the filmmaker ultimately, we don't have to give up the rights to our film and we get to keep a much larger percentage than so we would have before. That sounds like a really sweet idea. These guys are, and these guys are all about helping the filmmakers and helping the fans and everybody, you know, kind of bringing the fans and the filmmakers together and making it a more interactive process. And, uh, so yeah. So they're not just helping you publicize the film. They are actually your distribution channel. They're one, they're one option for our distribution channel. So it's not, you know, a set deal. It wouldn't be until we make the film, but yes. So, but, uh, uh, if they, if they do go ahead and, and pick it up, uh, at that point, it's an exclusive. Do they have an exclusive on your film. That's I, you know I'm not sure because I just have the uh, agreement right now, kind of like a letter of intent. So uh-huh. um, it's, it's not theatrical, so it's not exclusive in that way or in any way like that. So uh-huh. you know, and it would depend. So you know, if a giant studio comes along and offers us bazillions of dollars for all the rights, you know, what am I going to do? Um, but you know, so far they're not knocking down my door. So well, yeah. But I, I, I love the idea. You know, yeah, it's, they, it's they, a really great thing. So what they're, what they do, they take some of the money, but in return, they're doing all of the distri- They're aggregating all of the distribution, yes. so that all you have to do is deal with them. Yes. And they're they do the distribution, and they're all set up to do that every day because that's what yes. they do. Yes, and they make the investment in the film. So before you so have really to pay sort of some of those ne- things to put negative, your film on there. It's what we used to call a negative pickup deal. Yes. Excellent. Wow. Boy, that I I thought those days were gone forever. <laughs> oh because no! I have not there. heard of a negative pickup deal actually going yeah. through well, in thirty years. I don't so know. Here we are I again. I don't know if it's, it's exactly the same, but it's pretty pretty close to that kind of thing. Well, the distribution. The dis- the mechanics of distribution are very very different than they were. Yes. Because, because uh, uh, you know it used to be you'd have to the only way you could get a film seen is you'd have to uh, you'd have to test market it, and that yes. meant uh, in in the lingo of of uh, the movie industry you were four walling it. Yes. Which basically meant you were renting four walls and announcing it and trying to get people to come see it. Exactly. So that you could then say. As seen in this movie, you know, as seen in the, played in these cities, and audiences loved it, and and get the audience reactions, and and get pictures as they come out with their smiling faces, or the tears (laughs) in their eyes, or whatever it was, and uh, and tried to generate buzz about the film that way. And there was no internet, so generating buzz was almost impossible. Yeah. And then, and now. Uh, well, and then there was the uh, there was the the kind of film that you're making probably would have ended up in drive-ins in Georgia, and probably playing nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because you know, yeah. Uh, no, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, you know, that yeah, this this is one you know one of my favorite things that's changed. That it's in some ways it makes it incredibly difficult, but in, the reward I think is much greater. Which is that you, the generating buzz thing, not just generating buzz, but I think, you know, in terms of entrepreneurship that we call like validation of your product, which mm-hmm. is that you can validate early on that yes, audiences want to see this film. Film Break is one of those resources. You know, I can get people to join Film Break and they can hype and they can leave messages and, you know, I can show that, hey, these people are, you know, regularly hyping because they want to see the film. I can also, uh, Indiegogo and Kickstarter, or Indiegogo for us, are another way. You know, you put mm-hmm. it out there, and if people donate to it, it's kind of it's a form of validation that yes, people want to see this movie. 
so, you know, whereas before, you know, yeah, you have to do exactly what you, you just said, the, you know, making it and then um, hoping that people will like it. Yeah, hope, yeah, making make it first, hope that people will like it, hope that people will remember it, and hope that people will talk about it. And you've got no guarantee of any of that. And yeah. with uh, and with the new model, uh, you have some control over all of it, and you can see right away if something isn't working. You can get feedback almost immediately, and and go fix it. And you could yeah. never you could never have a hope of doing that before. And people uh, people lost their life savings on uh, on films that they had made where they had no feedback or couldn't get the feedback they needed to 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 fix the problems. I've worked on a bunch of those films, actually. I used yeah, to do, it's a, I used to it's do a common practical. problem. I used to do stage effects and makeup effects and things. And, uh, in fact, one of them was uh, um, uh, a ninja film that was shot in Puerto Rico. <laughs> you know, cause that kind of sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a, a radio-controlled... Uh, a, a guy stuck his head out, out of a... Um, uh, the window of a, a bamboo hut and he got his head cut off with a samurai sword and uh, he's supposed to have this look of surprise on his face and then the head falls off. <laughs> and I did the radio controlled head with the, with the that registered the look of surprise before it fell off. You know, <laughs> that kind you. of stuff. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's your work. <laughs> yeah, it's, I did I worked on a lot of B pictures. I don't think I ever worked on any A pictures. But, uh, so that leads me to my next question, which is, um, do you have some kind of vision as to where your work in, uh, in the, this new medium is going to go? Uh, I mean, it's, we're not making movies now. We're not making television. We're making stuff that's going to be distributed uh, electronically over the internet in a wide variety of of uh, of oh, what's the word I'm looking for a wide variety of mechanisms uh, f- from a two inch screen which sadly is how most people watch movies mm-hmm. on, on the internet to um, I don't know their televisions at home but that's about as big as it gets, and most people are watching on a two- or three-inch screen. So. Yeah, uh, those are all... I mean, I don't know, because like, this kind of goes back to my having a day job, and so I was working you know, in that realm, doing lots and lots of research and developing a business idea for that kind of... for distribution of web series on, online, and so I was dealing with a lot of that, and I kind of put it down within the last since January, really since uh-huh. January, because that's when I, I opted to go all out on our Indiegogo campaign. So I put it all down, and I haven't been keeping up with it. So I feel a little out of, um, I, I don't know, just a little out of it in terms of what's going on. Because, to be honest, a lot changes in seven months now. Um, so really, just in seven months? Yeah, I, that's what, how what, I feel. You mean you with know, your project or with... I was working on. What? You mean with your project or, or just no, with, with the business with in general? No, with how things are changing in terms of this, how we're watching things online and the devices no, and things like that. terrifying. Well, <laughs> it's not, I shouldn't say it's changing. It's just that things that uh-huh. I was working on then are have now been realized by other people and I'm seeing similar things or, you know, things that other people were working on, I now see them having taken the next step forward. And uh-huh. so I kind of see the, the changes take that as it's happening. Um, well, but, so, that, but it does give you a certain validation, even if you can't keep up with what they're doing. Yeah. It does validate your ideas because you thought yeah, of it and you saw it before they did it. So you were able to accurately predict what, what was going to happen next. And definitely. That, and, that's got to be. That's got to give you some warm fuzzies right there. <laughs> it's it's a little. It's it should, but I more get frustrated. I'm like, oh, I that was my thing. Uh, but then again, I'm I'm comforted by knowing that I I opted to put it down and to pick up my film and and say this is what I want to focus on with the limited time mm-hmm. that I have. You know, if I could work on these things, you know, day in and day out, then I would. I feel like I would be a little more. 
um, on top of my game. But, you know, for now, the film is, is okay. So, I mean, as, if, as far as how things are changing, you know, it's, it's so, so much is in its infancy. Crowdfunding is in its infancy. Uh, distribution of web television is in its infancy. And then you, we think, like, it looks like theaters are disappearing, you know. But then I just, last week, at a, at a film break mixer, ran across a company that um, is now working towards filling theaters. So they take these empty theaters and they'll kind of, like... Um, I forgot their analogy, but they they will sell the tickets cheaper, you know, at, at off times, and they're more likely uh-huh. to fill the theater seats now with this company, and uh, so which is is really nice. And well, that's it kind also, of promising because it it, yeah. it it kind of opens if if the tickets can be cheaper, then it means the the movies can afford to be a little bit less expensive too, and it opens the door for yes, you know as. If if the film doesn't have Johnny Depp in it, are they going to get a screen, you know? Yeah, uh, and it also puts power back in the hands of the filmmaker because we can work directly with these people and we don't have to get that giant distribution deal. We can look at our, our audience and our insights on things like Facebook and we, we know we have a major audience in this city, so why don't we just spend our limited funds targeting this city and, you know not trying to get this giant distribution deal where occasionally five people will come see your film when mm-hmm. you can get, you know, 5,000 people in just one location. Well, it's, and as you said, Lucha Libre is sort of a, um, it's, it's got hot spots. You know, Definitely. Certain, certain parts of the country are very interested. Other parts don't care at all. Definitely. So, um, let's see. Who are, and this is, this is one of those stupid questions that every director gets asked. Who are your major influences? Who, what movies do you watch? What, what is uh, it that you, what is it that you find yourself doing that uh, a director that you like did? Oh, wow. Um, man, I don't know. I don't know if I, what I do that other people do. I'm always struggling just to direct anything in my spare time. Uh, so, I guess I mean, you don't my, you don't look at things and go, oh, that's a cool shot. Oh, I, I have to remember do. that. You do. I definitely do, and I I see a lot of stuff that I'm always thinking for mission. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I I love. Um, I mean, I guess just for mission, a lot of the things I'm looking at, I've looked at are. I, I really liked a lot of scenes in the Japanese film Battle Royale where they're shot in the dark and they're in kind of the forest. And mm-hmm. it just had this kind of cool look that I imagined. And um, so I really liked the way they did a lot of those challenging scenes, you know, in the dark, in the forest, which is what we're going to have to deal with, too. Uh, so I noticed things like that. And then certain creative things like, you know, I, I love a, a ramp on a camera. So I'm always paying attention to these, how creative or how people creatively use a ramp on a camera. Cause I really envision wrestling scenes with the use of a, you know, a, the ramp where it speeds up and slows down and mm-hmm. is w- really well timed. Um, so I'm always paying attention to how people are using that. And I'm really kind of stuck on the vengeance trilogy right now, the Park Chang-wook uh, films from Korea. Uh-huh. And there's certain things that they do in the way that he composes his shots. And I don't know how much I I could work them into mission, but I I really love the way they're they're kind of dark yet comedic all the time, and not all the time, but uh, in some of them. So those are some of the influences I've looked at, and then there there are lots of other ones. Um, my personal influences I love Spike Lee. I'm a big Spike Lee and Ong Lee fan. Um, no I love relation. Spike Lee because yeah, yeah, no, no relation between the two. Although they went to school together, apparently. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, Spike Lee to me, he's, he's not afraid of doing things that people, that are taboo, that other people, mm-hmm. I'm sure, would think, why would you, why would you make a movie like that at that time? And yet he does it and it's successful and he's also an educator. So I really enjoy him. I really love Ang Lee because he's not afraid of silence in films, which a lot of filmmakers are. I think it's especially today. Well, um, the, the premise is that uh, 80% of the information that the audience gets comes from the soundtrack 
I mean, this is particularly true of television. I think it's something like 70% for motion pictures, but uh, it's 80%, 80% for TV and on small screens and on web series and this kind of thing, it's even more important. Uh, right. Because, you know, you can barely see it to start with. You got some, if you can recognize somebody, you're good to go. So <laughs> you're stuck with yeah, close ups and medium shots and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it changes the, it, it not only limits you uh, in terms of that, it, it changes the kinds of stories you can tell. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, we, we have no, like, format yet for, for kind of online TV stuff, which it'll be interesting. I watched these new uh, Netflix series, and they're, they're structured just like television, which almost surprises me that people aren't being a little more creative with their the formats of these shows and maybe people aren't ready for major changes in that area yet i don't know but um but yeah i'll be interested to see how people deal with those issues or you know how i I will be dealing with them in the future so they're still Um, shooting 22 minute episodes and things like that yeah you know i don't know if you've watched some of them i think the the dramas were more like the 40 45 47 Uh minute uh episodes but uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised people aren't playing around more with um, how each each episode connects and and you know I've seen these things that are online and I can't understand why people still putting this like on their previous episode. This is what happened. Like you don't need to tell me that. I just went from one episode to the other. Like it's Netflix. You don't you don't even let me like go back. It just plays in like 11 seconds, and so I can't even stop it. I just keep watching. So um, so it's it's weird to me that people are still feeling the need to tell what happened on the previous episode, things like that. Hmm. Well, um, I, I would guess that the reason for that is, is that, uh, it's a random access medium. Mm-hmm. You could pick up any, uh, you could pick up any episode and I do this with Dr. Who all the time. Oh, I'll skip too. around. And, <laughs> you watch Dr. Who too? Yeah, I do the same thing that you're oh, I see. talking yeah. about. You just you you skip around. You you look at episodes. And, oh, the description that sounds interesting. It uh, is true. But I don't really have time to watch the whole thing. I just want to watch the ending. I want to <laughs> see how the story came out. So you flip it on, and and uh, you watch the last twenty two minutes of the forty four minute, you know, double episode, and uh, you get the you get the recap in the front, and that's all you need. So I, you know, I think there's, a good point. I think there's still a valid place for that. I, I, there, I think the structure of uh, episodics, uh, uh, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot, even though we move to another medium, primarily because of the fact that uh, it's it is a random access medium at this point. We can watch anything we want to at any time in any order. That's true. That's a good point. So, um. Let's see. How, when is your Indiegogo campaign going? And why did you pick that over Kickstarter? Oh, good question. So, um, well, I'll tell you how, you know, originally I didn't even want to do crowdfunding. So it's been an evolution of crowdfunding for me. Originally, I didn't like the idea of crowdfunding. I didn't like the way other people had been doing their crowdfundings. I didn't like anything about it. And then it wasn't until January when I was talking to a, a wrestling organization that was like, hey, didn't you guys make some mummy film? Whatever happened to that? And I was like, wait a second, you're right. I, I never saw that movie until it was like five years later. I, I I was working on it. I never saw it. So I realized that was the that was really the um, the bottom line to a crowdfunding effort for me was that it would generate so much outreach for the film. And it would really, you know, the goal is to get it to the audience mm-hmm. because... Like, you know, we mentioned earlier, a film like this, you know, it's it relies on, I'm the one who has to go out and put it in people's faces so that they know it's out there. And so that's why I chose crowdfunding in general. I chose Indiegogo over Kickstarter um, because I talked to a, a representative of Indiegogo, actually, and um, he was explaining some of the features. And they have the flexible funding and originally, I didn't want to do the flexible funding either. I thought, oh, you know, my God, what if we, what if we set this goal too high and nobody donates, and you know, we only get ten thousand dollars, and it looks like a scam if we do flexible funding. We just keep all their money. But then uh, I realized 
actually, you know, you can with a film. There's there's so much flexibility within the, a budget mm-hmm. uh, for an indie film, anyway. And so, you know, even if we don't reach the end goal. It, we could still do so much, and we can still use that money, and I wouldn't be wasting it. Sure, I have you can trade that plan. limousine rental for uh, right. a 1985 Fiat 850 Spider. <laughs> you just rewrite right. the script, you know? That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be the first thing cut out. I'm just keeping that. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, you know, okay. You the limousine stays. And <laughs> so. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah. So that was my reason for Indiegogo over Kickstarter, because I thought, uh-huh. and, and also because there are just so many people, more and more people are getting involved, and I think, you know, it's not just me anymore, it's more people involved, and, you know, even if we didn't, for some reason, reach our goal, which I I think we will, but... How much, uh, are, you, how much are you going for? I You know, I haven't, I haven't publicly announced that, so I'm not going to say okay, just yet. Okay. Um, well, it's, we don't it's have... It's more than the average to... film. Okay. Um, but... Then again, we've done, I think, more work on this end, on the outreach end, than the average film. Uh-huh. And so I, I have high hopes for it. And it could still change between now and the launch date. And as far as the launch date goes, that was, you know, three months ago in my head. Um, but we, it's really kind of any day now. I'm just waiting on a few things that are a little out of my hands. Uh-huh. So, you know, somebody, like, I'm waiting for a lawyer to get paperwork for another actor, and I'm waiting to get the last bit of video so I can finish editing it, and it's, like, these little details that are, um, you know, I can't I can't force anyone to get them to me. Yeah. So, it's kind of any day now, as soon as those get in my hands, then we'll be able to put the finishing touches on everything and, and be ready to go. So, my, my goal was actually this weekend, um, <laughs> but... But, um, but then again, it's every weekend. So yes, stuff, uh, <laughs> stuff continues to happen, and yeah. surprises keep cropping up at the oddest times. Exactly. Uh, so, have you thought about? I mean, we haven't even discussed the science fictional aspects of this. I've just been having so much <laughs> really? fun talking to you about uh, uh, lucha libre and filmmaking that I forgot to ask about it. Uh, but uh, what's what exactly is what's the premise of the film? <laughs> Good question. Uh, it's so the premise of the film is Mil Mascaras and his professor. Which, if you're a fan, you know the professor from uh, some of the previous films. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mil Mascaras and the professor are trekking through the jungle, looking for what they believe is a meteorite landing, and they come across a village that's been ravaged by some kind of gruesome animalistic attacks. And there, you know, there are only a few remaining uh, people in the village, uh, including some missionaries, Sister Tracy and Father Tiro. And they, you know, take Mil Mascaras, who they, of course, already know because he's Mil Mascaras, mm-hmm. um, to what they think is the meteorite landing site. But it turns out to be an alien spaceship. Uh, full uh-huh. with aliens who are, of course, in their minds, superior beings and seem, you know, sketchy but slightly friendly and, of course, ultimately have uh, an evil plot to uh, destroy the inferior Earth people. And uh, Neil Mascaras, of course, with uh-huh. his with his friends and help from other luchadors and from the missionaries and the professor must save uh, the people of Earth from this horrible alien plot, which I can't even get into because it's very Lucha Libre and it's, you think it's one thing and then it's Uh something else that you think it is, but actually it's another thing that you had no idea was coming. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just, um, wow. (laughs) (laughs) my, my, My first, my first observation is if they're so superior, how come they crash landed? I think they landed on purpose. Oh, they landed on purpose. Right. Okay. It, it, wasn't, a it wasn't a crash. All right. Well, that takes my objection away. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, CM Landris, this has been uh, a really fun conversation. Thanks. I've really enjoyed it, yeah. too. And uh, we are looking forward to seeing your Indiegogo campaign light up and take off like a rocket. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when it does, I hope you'll let us know so that we can turn around and thump the hell out of this crazy idea <laughs> Absolutely, for a Lucha Libre that. science fiction alien invasion film. Yeah. Until then, you can join us on Film Break, filmbreak.com slash mission movie. 
This concludes our show for the evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us, and stay tuned for X-1. This has been Episode 24 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for July 27, 2013. Our guest this week has been producer and director C.M. Landris, and we have been discussing her upcoming Lucha Libre film Mission, starring Mil Mascaras. Find out more about CM's film by visiting filmbreak.com slash missionmovie. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Jimmy Turnbow and the station's executive producer Susan Fox. This episode will air again on Sunday, July 28th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Jimmy Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction artist and illustrator Mark Schumeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christopher B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Corsair's Closet producer Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer and legend Larry Nettles. This program and its contents are copyrighted 2013 by the Krypton Media Group, Incorporated. Stay tuned for more great music and tonight's episode of X-1. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>